Welcome to Access Ideas, where we share insights and perspectives that spark curiosity, conversation, and inspiration. I'm Yana, and today I'm sharing my conversation with Sarah Jansen. Sarah helps professional women transition from corporate careers to the freedom of working for themselves. And she understands firsthand the challenges women face when taking the leap. After over a decade of climbing the corporate ladder, she recognized a growing disparity between her values and those of corporate life. And she made the bold choice to leave it all behind. Nearly a decade later, Sarah is a master coach specializing in helping women make that same bold move and follow their heart and their dreams. In our conversation today, Sarah and I discuss the uncertainty, fear, indecision, and the simple question of how when it comes to leaving corporate life. Sarah will also share tips on how to take the steps toward a career transition in entrepreneurship and the physical signs and symptoms that your body might be telling you it's time for a career change. And with that, I bring you Sarah Jansen. Welcome to Access Ideas, Sarah. It's great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Yana. I've been looking forward to this. So far, listeners will have heard a little bit about your bio and the intro and a little bit about who you are, but let's go a little bit deeper and talk about who you are and why you founded Her Big Leap and anything else that you think is important to share up front. So I am a coach and I coach women who are in the corporate world, but want to leave and start their own business. But really at the heart of it, when they say your mess is your message, especially as a coach, this is what this is what I had always struggled with. If you go back as far as, you know, when I was a kid, I was told, get good grades, go to university, get a good job, and then you're set. Especially from, I had parents who were professionals, so they didn't have pensions, retirements, you know, benefits. So this was the main message I got was just follow the script, follow that path of get a good job and and then you're set for life. I did that. And then that became my mess as we all have <laughs> something in our lives that that at some point, usually in their 30s or 40s, oftentimes for men, they call it the midlife crisis. I had a little midlife crisis at between 30 and 35 where I'm like, this isn't working. I've been following the path that people have told me this is This is your road to success. I was climbing the corporate ladder and it just didn't work. I was unhappy. I was unfulfilled. I felt inauthentic. And so I had to make the switch from corporate to being an entrepreneur. I knew that was my calling. I knew that's what I wanted to do, but I had no, I had no examples in my life for what that looked like. There's no roadmap for entrepreneurship. There's more now than there was then, but there were no, there's no set out path and that that became the mess of my life for a few years of as was figuring that out. And so now well, maybe we can stop for a second there because mm. I'm guessing from the outside nobody saw a mess when they looked at you. If if you were putting your life together judging by your corporate experience, I'm guessing a lot of people looked and saw somebody who was successful who had done those right things, quote unquote, who had gotten those grades, gotten that that professional job. But how did you start to tune in or understand that maybe you were heading towards a mess or that this wasn't ultimately what you wanted? Great question. 
So I was on the fast track, the quote unquote fast track from pretty much the time I started in corporate. So I got my first job at 24 and less than two years later, I got my first promotion. And then before I was 30, I think I had four or five more promotions and I had moved around various cities in Eastern Canada, always following the next promotion. And so you're right, from the outside looking in, I had it made. I had people who had much longer careers speak to me and say, oh man, you're going to be here by the time you're 30. You're going to be here by the... And it felt great. My ego was taken care of, right? <laughs> and and I was following the path I, would, I had been told to, to follow. Get a good job and then just go as high as you can go. And the higher up you go, you realize, you see more things, you get exposed to more things. And really quickly, you know, in my early 30s, I was traveling to Europe and speaking of life looked great. I was traveling to Europe two or three times a year for these, you know, for these industry conferences. I was traveling first class. I was traveling around the country multiple times a month. Expense accounts, dinners out, all of the corporate car, all of that that we as, you know, I as a kid really, really wanted or thought was really glamorous. And it took, it started to take its toll. And I started looking up the corporate ladder, so to speak, especially at the women who are above me in the corporate ladder. And I didn't like what I saw. And it wasn't the life that I aspired to. What were you seeing? I was seeing women with two kids that barely knew their kids, or they were separated, or they were having massive health issues like mm. cancer, ulcers, mental health breakdowns. I saw women come into the come into the office at like 4 or 5 a.m. so they could beat the traffic home to have dinner with their kids. And I looked at that life and I said, that's, and I was single at the time. It's like, that's not what I aspire to. Like, what am I doing? And at the same time, I had been promoted or, or shuffled around enough times that I had had a series of bosses that I didn't necessarily admire or respect or get along with for that matter. And this high-flying lifestyle, you look at the, the culmination of it all, this high-flying lifestyle, I was stressed out, my skin was breaking out, my neck and back were so bad that I had started to see a chiropractor once a month because I would just, I would seize up from all of the stress. And I guess that was my rock bottom. And you realize like, what is this all for? Yes, exactly. You know, and you weigh that, or at least I, I weighed that. And knowing... Having spoken to enough women, I realized that this is actually a really common place to be. Exactly. When you realize, okay, this is not working. And at the same time, I started becoming disillusioned with the industry I was in. I couldn't stay in the same industry and feel authentic with who I was. But I experienced enough in the corporate world that I knew that just moving to a different industry or a different co company or a different job, that wouldn't fulfill me either. And I'm guessing a lot of people listening can relate to this. It's so common, like you said. But you mentioned earlier, you didn't have a role model of somebody who'd ever done this. So in the beginning, did you think, I'll just have to make the best of it? I'm maybe just a little bit burnt out. Maybe I need a vacation. Maybe I need to just... At what point did you decide this isn't really going to work in the long term and I have to make a pretty significant change and I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone? Well... 
I knew probably for two or three years beforehand that I wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. And you say, from the outside looking in, everything looked great on paper, but my close friends knew because every chance I got, I was complaining about this and complaining. And looking back, I'm like, I was a buzzkill in so many ways because (laughs) I just wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. And there came a turning point. I remember it was December 2014, and I went to an event that had me reflect on my life and what was going well and what was going wrong or what I didn't like. And it was at that event that I realized I needed to make a massive, massive change. I was single. I wasn't happy with my singlehood. I was in my mid-30s. I wanted to settle down with someone and have a family. And as women too, you know, you start to see that window closing. And I, I knew that I'd put my corporate career as my number one priority. And I was sacrificing my health and my relationships and my happiness as a result. So I knew something had to change. And if I wanted my health, if I wanted a loving relationship, a partnership in life, if I wanted happiness, I needed to switch my priorities. And in order to switch my priorities, I needed to to reprioritize how I, I took action, not just in my mind, but how I prioritized my life. And how long of a period would you say this was where you initially started to feel signs of doubt, maybe a bit of physical decline, you you sensed you were a buzzkill when you were out with friends? How long did all of that take before you decided to take action? Probably two, I would say two, maybe three, but probably two years of really feeling unhappy in where I was, Mm -hmm. but not knowing what else was out there? You know, and I think there are many women, most women go through the same phase where you go through this phase, things aren't great, but in your mind you think, oh, well, with the next promotion, it'll get better. You know, this boss isn't isn't great, but with the next boss, my life will just be better. And I did that for enough times, but I went through a couple bosses. I went through two or three bosses and nothing got better. You can say it was the bosses, you could say it was the industry, but the only common denominator was me. Hmm. And so I knew it was me. And then of course, there's always a a rock bottom when you're like, okay, enough is enough. And after two or three years, I got to that point where I realized I was really looking in the mirror and I said, you know, enough is enough. And this is a really common a common journey that people go on. And sometimes it takes two, three years. Sometimes it takes 10 years. I talked to lots of women now who they said, I've always known that this isn't the best best career for me. There's always been something in, in the back of my mind or the past 10 years just haven't been great. Wow. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today, Sarah, is you can really help women save time when it comes to expediting the decision-making because like you just mentioned, there are people who've had that sense for 10 years or more that this just isn't their best life um, in any sense of the word. And yet, I'd say two or three years seems fairly common. I, I don't think that's uncommon when people are trying to transition, but certainly you're here to try and help prevent that 10-year delay in decision-making. And maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the specific clues that our body starts to tell us. You've mentioned 
ongoing chronic issues with your back and your shoulders, this is a telltale series of signals or signs that our body gives us. Let's talk a little bit about that based on your experience working with clients and in terms of what do our bodies tell us that indicate something needs to change? That's a great question. And I love the way you phrase that question because that's, you've answered it within the question. <laughs> it's our bodies, our bodies don't lie. Our minds make up lots of stories. We will talk ourselves in of, into things. We will talk ourselves out of things, but our bodies will never lie to us. And so the most common things that I hear from women, I'm getting headaches more and more often, ulcers, tightening of the chest, headaches that just don't go away, but become more and more debilitating. Your back is often something that goes... And these are the early signs. I had acne, my, my, my skin was flaring up. These are the early signs that things aren't aligned the way they should be in your life. And when we start ignoring those early signs, they get worse and worse. Our body starts speaking up louder until it's shouting. And the real, the trick, if there is one, is to start listening to your body earlier when it's starting to whisper or speak to you before it starts shouting with words like cancer or heart disease or something debilitating that you need to step back. You know, there are a lot of women who go through mental, we call it a mental break or you know, whatever you want to call it, depression, debilitating depression. No one goes from zero to debilitating depression overnight. There are always signs that our bodies are telling us leading up to that. It's just we don't listen to it until, or we we tell it to be quiet because we have that deadline, we have that trip, we have that project, we have that new promotion, and we decide that it's more important than listening to our bodies. Yes. And there's many of us who take pride in being tough and working through pain and dealing with whatever life throws at us. So maybe in conjunction with those signs and signals from our body, maybe you can share a little bit about the key questions that we can ask ourselves that will also reveal telltale insights that maybe we need a change or maybe we're not quite <laughs> on the trajectory we thought we were. What are some good questions to ask ourselves? The best thing is just to take the time to sit with yourself. And this is the piece that probably extended my time in that unhappiness place that could have just been a catalyst. And it's just spending time with yourself. And I say this, you know, whether you call it meditation, whether you call it, you know, whether it's meditation, journaling, just sitting still, most women who are on the fast track or value success in their corporate career, most of us don't take that time to be still. The minute we wake up, we're going to the gym, we're getting breakfast, we're getting the kids off to school. And then the minute the kids are out, we are driving to the office and we're, it's a constant treadmill of things and treadmill of duties and expectations. And for our generation now, it's okay, now it's not just the kids, it's the elderly parents that we're taking, taking care of. I hear this so often is that 
There are so many expectations and duties and obligations that we don't have time for ourselves. And I'm not talking about time for yourself to get your nails done or, you know, to get the facial. It's we don't have time for ourselves to listen to ourselves think. And those examples you just listed might be what we compensate with because we think that's how I treat myself. That will help offset the stress. But I think what we're really craving is time to reflect on what we really want and what matters to us. And so many of us have been rewarded for staying busy and optimizing our schedule and being hyper, hyper productive. And our culture is full of examples of people who evangelize that, you know, the the whole culture of productivity and, and that's how you're successful. Oh, and, hustle and grind yeah. and absolutely. Yeah. We are, we're rewarded, it's revered. How much can you get done in a day? And how often have you had a manager praise someone, oh, they get so much done. I can't, I can't believe their efficiency, their productivity. And that's the biggest switch that I've found going from corporate. It's one of the biggest switches, going from corporate to working for yourself. It's no longer how much can you do, but it's how are you showing up and being. And how are your daily actions and habits adding up to what you really want and leading you to the life that you want? So how do you walk through that when somebody is is initially encountering this disconnect or they're realizing that they need to make a change and they need to start making practical steps? How might you even start to approach that so that people can slow down long enough to listen to themselves first of all and then start tuning in and answering the real questions? Great question. So for the first and foremost is just start carving out time in your day to be still with yourself. And your initial question was, what do you ask yourself? There are a few questions you can ask yourself, like, am I happy? What's going on here? If you're starting to get those whispers from your body, headaches, neck neck stiffness, back pain, stomach issues, chest tightening. I had experiences where I couldn't take a full breath for days on end, you know, and it just always felt like I was taking small breaths. You start asking yourself, what's the pattern here? And you realize, oh, wait a minute. Every time I'm about to meet with my boss, I get a headache that morning. Oh, wait a minute. That's an interesting pattern. But giving yourself that time to reflect and start to notice those patterns, it becomes so obvious what the right path is. The real challenge is people don't, they don't believe it. No, or they, they might want to avoid it because they're so heavily invested in this version, this vision of success that they've crafted based on societal expectations, cultural norms, what have you, that there's a very strong incentive to discount those signs and signals from the body, uh, from mood, like emotions, observations. And I want to go into more of a discussion around maybe what's really causing that is that is fear. It's a fear of either failing and and what's tied to that, I think, and, and you've talked about this before, is dreaming too big. It's one thing to look at a corporate ladder and say, there is a well-defined journey. As long as I check the boxes and do the work, I'm going to get to that ladder top. And that is success. And I know that's success because I see it. 
But I think what is perhaps a much scarier question while being liberating is to look at what you want and start to hone in on what matters and then craft a journey for yourself. That's terrifying for many of us because it feels limitless. It feels unrealistic. It feels to what you were saying earlier, Sarah, like there's no role models or examples of that. So how do I figure it out without a role model or example? What do you think are some of the other reasons that we get held back or that we worry about dreaming big for ourselves and and really looking at what is possible? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we speak of it for humans, but you look at any animal. Now, I love watching animal and nature movies and videos, and that's a quirk of mine. But if you watch a video of a wild animal, but who has only ever known captivity, so an animal that was captured young and then kept in captivity, had only known a cage or a small confine for most of its life, and then humanity steps in and says, okay, we're going to let it free. And you watch these videos of these predatory animals, lions or tigers, or you see them being taken to the wild, their cage is unlocked, the, the doors swing open, and one of two things happen. Either it stays put and doesn't leave the cage because it's afraid of this wide open spance, or it takes a few steps out and then cowers back in the cage. Because again, you're right, this limitlessness This freedom can be very overwhelming. There are too many possibilities. And the biggest thing is it keeps us, it takes us out of our comfort zone. This animal, this predator animal has only ever known this cage it's now comfortable in, despite it being too small, uncomfortable. You know, you you don't like the lack of freedom, but the minute you're given this freedom, it seems too expansive. And the same thing happens when we leave the confines of corporate It feels stifling. It feels restrictive. But then as soon as we step out, we're like, oh, so many possibilities, too many possibilities. Okay, I'm getting freaked out. This is feeling really uncomfortable. I'm going back to what I know because at least the devil I know is better than the devil I don't know, right? This is what we tell ourselves. And you're absolutely right. The fears, the fears are, what if I'm not enough? What will people think of me? I've created this identity for myself that people know me as. What will people think? What if I fail? What if I let people down? One of the biggest ones is how will I make money? How will I make the same amount or more as I do in my corporate work? That's a great one to start with. How would you even start talking to somebody who has that fear at the top of their list? Well, the fear really is, what's my value? Because... When you're in corporate, someone else determines your value for you. And very few people have the opportunity to establish their own value. And as women especially, you know, society has taught us, don't get too big, don't speak up too much, don't don't be too full of yourself. And so we automatically, and this is in corporate or outside, but it's even more important outside because at least in corporate, there are salary bans. You know, if we didn't have salary bans, women wouldn't even be paid close to what, you know, at least now it's 80%. Back before there were there, there were regulations around this, women would be paid peanuts. 
And some will argue we still are. Yeah, a lot of women would, and they don't they don't ask questions. We don't typically ask our coworkers what they make. There's not much transparency other than those salary bands, like you said, and that's almost a best case scenario. Right. So now you put these same women in a situation where now they're determining their own worth based on their their pricing and how they how they bill themselves, you know, if you're a consultant or, or service provider, and we undermine ourselves. We set our pricing too low. And so, of course, we won't make what we're actually worth. And of course, we won't make what, what we need to to replace our, our corporate income. So that's the biggest place to start. So would you say a big piece of your work with your clients when you start out is to walk them through step-by-step step of how they're going to transition in a given time period to be able to earn the value that they are indeed worthy of. Well, the first piece is, is what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> for some women, and I guess this is a really, really important piece, for some women, they don't want to, they don't need to make as much as they did in corporate. For some women, the reason they're leaving corporate or they want to leave corporate isn't because they feel under undervalued or underpaid. Although that's a huge one for many women, that they feel undervalued and underpaid, and they want that limitless income potential. But wouldn't a lot of people say, well, what I want has been so constrained by that cage or that corporate conformity, the lion only wants the cage that it knows, in other words. How do we even start figuring out what we want when we're so unaware of the possibilities? And this is where we start. Yeah, yeah is what do you really want? And for some women, it's money. And they will they will make sacrifices in other areas of their life just to make the money. For most who have been living the corporate life and have now health issues, maybe personal relationship issues, maybe lack of fulfillment, what they really crave is not more money. They'd be happy with making as much or maybe even a little less than they have been now. They but what they want is that fulfillment. They want to be living their purpose. They want to be doing something aligned to their real purpose in life. For some, it's freedom. They yeah. want to be able to work wherever they want, whenever they want, and be able to travel and, and work from anywhere. What are some interesting or unusual examples that might surprise listeners? I don't know if any of them would be a surprise. They're so common. For some women, it's, it, it is money. I, I want to be making millions, and I feel tap. I, I feel capped where I am and really undervalued and underutilized. For many, it's I don't feel like I'm making an impact, and I want to be. I want to be doing something that's it's tangibly beneficial to the world. For others, it's just freedom. It's flexibility. For if they have kids, oftentimes it's I want to be able to. Sorry, I want to be able to design my day so I can make all of my kids special activities. I want to be able to attend all of their events. I want to be able to take a day off and not have to worry about it if my kid is sick or, or needs me. For others, it's I want to be able to travel. I, I'm coaching one woman right now who she wants to travel to five different countries every year. Wow. And whether she works, from, works during those trips or not, but that's her mandate. She she wants to have that freedom to be able to travel and be able to afford it. And when she's traveling, are these longer trips where she gets a chance to stay in the country and experience the culture for longer? Or she's still figuring that could out? Could be. Yeah. Could be. Still figuring that out. I've coached another woman who wanted to work, you know, in three different countries 
for longer periods of time, but wanted to be able to do that and and have the flexibility with her work to do that. As you're working with women who are exploring these options, do you see a lot of growth in terms of women expanding their idea of what success could be for them? Because those first initial steps are more hypothetical. It's based on what they think will make them happy. I'm super curious to hear more about somebody who maybe starts out with a a simple objective, like I want to make what I make now, or I want to travel, and then moving on to more challenging or more fulfilling ideas about success and what that means for them. Absolutely. And as I tell my clients, everything is an iterative process because the more growth you you do, the more you're going to go back and realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe I limited myself back then. Yes. Right? And now there are more possibilities. So let's go back and and change that trajectory and just like change the plan based on who you are now. I coached one one woman last year who she she wanted to be able to travel anywhere anytime and work from from anywhere. And at the time she was middle management tied to a desk or tied to to being able to go into the office whenever the office required her to do so post covid. And she just wanted to replace her income and do her thing, right? That was her mandate. Those were her two things. Make the same money, do her thing. Well, within two months, she had enough clients to replace her income and she quit. She gave notice. And then a few months later, probably about a six months later, we said, okay, so so now what? Now you've replaced that income. You're working 30 hours a week instead of 40, but making the same income. Now what do you want? And she started revising that plan. Okay, so what do I want? And she realized, no, I can't just have this income for everything I really want to have a more expansive lifestyle. I need more money. And so we revised the plan. Okay, so how can you add more value in order to make more money doing what you're doing? So absolutely, it's, it's an iterative process, as it should be. I'm curious as well, what different life stages might create somebody's constraints or their perception of constraints? How might they perceive challenges differently based on their life stage, whether they have young children, maybe they want to have kids and they haven't yet had kids, or maybe they're they're empty nesters and their kids have gone and now they have some time? At the core of it, it's the same. But <laughs> what you... What you 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 listed a few of them. You know, they could be single. They could be in a partnership, a committed partnership. Many, oftentimes, when women really get to a point where they're like, okay, enough is enough, something in their life has shifted. Either they've recently become empty nesters. Something at work has just made it untenable. Sometimes it's, okay, now the kids are at school, so I have time during the day to spend doing something else or their or their kids are a little a little more independent so they have that time to to do something else sometimes it's divorce and and that is reason enough for women to say okay so now do now what do I really want because our routines our habits our our patterns shift and so it's an opportunity to shift a lot more things and the same thing often happens with women in corporate either something shifts in their personal life divorce Kids are at a different milestone in their life or something shifts it at work. They have a new boss. Oftentimes it's after the third reorganization and they realize they're one of 
12 on their team that's left standing. New bosses, new new leadership, new mandates at work, and they realize enough is enough. It makes me wonder how often our growth is based on precarious convenience. <laughs> so what I mean by that is all it takes is one big piece of the puzzle to fall or break or change. And suddenly we start questioning, what am I even doing with this ramshackle construction that I've somehow bolted together? So some of these big life events like divorce, like becoming an empty nester, they're natural opportunities for people to pause and reschedule their lives because they have to. There's just a totally different logistic situation, different demands on their time. What are some surprising or unusual insights that people might bring to you and say, you know, I've suddenly experienced this change in my life and now I realize X or now I, I know that 100% I need to make a change. Is that typically how it happens or is it just as often a series of changes? We are creatures of comfort. (laughs) We love our comfort. And so as long as things are comfortable, they don't have to be great, but as long as they're not horrible, and I mean horrible like you just can't bear it any longer, as long as things are okay, you know, I look at it as if you look at the spectrum, one end of the spectrum is you are drawn to something so much, you just want it so badly that you're willing to to make changes and shifts to make that happen. Conversely, and what most people do, is we wait until things get so horrible that we just can't bear it any longer, right? The worst place to be is in the middle, where things aren't great, but you're somehow making it work. They're not great, but you, you're optimistic that it'll, it'll get better, or you know what, I can bear it for another year, and then five years later, you're still bearing it. That's what I call the no man's land. Yes. And that is, that's where most people exist. Hmm. That seems really They're sad. trudging through life. It is. It really, really is because we are living the same programming as our parents and their parents before them. And we're going through the motions, going through life, doing what we think is expected of us or what we're told is, is success without really thinking about it ourselves. And that is where most people exist. And to make that shift, unfortunately, things usually get really, really bad before people, they don't have to, you can absolutely make this shift and make this leap before things get really, really bad. And do I recommend that? Absolutely. (laughs) It makes things so much easier before your health gets in the way, before your relationships have suffered, before you're, you know, before you've run out of money. Mm Mm-hmm. It makes it so much easier to make that transition to what you really, really want. Unfortunately, and this is just the human condition, is oftentimes we wait until our health is is screaming at us. Yes. Or our relationships have fallen apart because we've prioritized our corporate career before our relationships. How do we make this habit of avoiding too much comfort really a habit because I have a feeling this is something we do again and again. Well, I don't just have a feeling. It, the, the data shows this. We will always seek out a certain homeostasis. And for some of us, that's more chaotic. For some of us, that's highly structured. But 
how do we build in the habits, the mindset, the thinking, the framework within our lives to keep us from getting too complacent and too comfortable? I think there's two ways. One, you can build the habit actively by always putting yourself or or seeking things to make you feel uncomfortable. And that becomes a habit in and of itself, right? Whether that's rock climbing, traveling to different countries. You know, as a kid, I traveled to different countries on my own where they didn't speak English. This was before the interweb. So, you know, I'd be there with my translating dictionary and it was really uncomfortable, but you, you build that muscle. The other way is not necessarily putting yourself in discomfort actively, but again, it goes back to spending time with yourself to really ask yourself the question, so what do I want? And the real question is, once you figure out what you want, what am I willing to give up to get that? Hmm. That's a key question, I would say, because so often people know what they want, but they're not willing to compromise anything. That's it. And there will always be something you need to give up, whether it's, I need to give up the security of a, of a weekly paycheck or the, the certainty of a week, weekly paycheck. You might actually make more in the end, and you likely will, but it's the security of a weekly paycheck. It might be giving up limiting beliefs, beliefs that you've been told since you were a kid. You're not enough. You'll never do much with your life. Who are you to think you're that much? A lot of women are saying, you know, you're too much. Quiet down. Don't be too full of yourself. But to spend time with yourself, and and maybe it's giving up those beliefs that you've been holding on to. Maybe it's giving up people in your life. Oh, that's a big one. You know, when you, if you look at, we are the five people, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So look around, who are you spending the most time with? Is it Netflix, (laughs) you know? And these backstabbing, sarcastic people, characters on Netflix that you're binge watching, reality TV that's just full of drama. Do you need to give up your high school friends that you've kept in touch with, but all you do when you get together is gossip and talk about other people or or it's the race to the bottom, as I call it, when you're like, oh, well, you wouldn't believe what my husband did. Oh, well, my husband's this much worse. Like these, this is not getting you to what you want. No. But it's really hard to give that up for some people. It's almost like people are afraid to be seen as successful or afraid to be seen as happy because... They assume that it will incur jealousy or that people won't like them. They won't fit in anymore. What are some examples of really common self-limiting beliefs that you've seen overcome with your clients? That I'm not enough, that there's not enough time, that a lot of it's scarcity. Scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset, That's, that could be with time, money, energy, Who am I to, who am I, a lot of imposter syndrome, who am I to do all this? What does that look like though? What does it look like from somebody having the insight that I have a scarcity mindset around time, for example, to actively contesting that for themselves and breaking through to whatever the other side looks like? How does that process look? What does it feel like to somebody? Well, it feels, once they've broken through, it feels amazing. Sure. <laughs> sure. It feels it feels light. You feel like you're floating. You feel light. You feel like you could take on the world. You could take on anything. 
Now to get there, that's a different process. You know, that's, that's something else. And the biggest thing is just identifying it. For most people, they're afraid to even acknowledge it because even that introspection, taking that time to, to go inward, it's scary. Who knows what's lurking in those dark corners of my mind, right? So one, just acknowledging that this is a belief. And as one client said to me recently, but it feels so real. It feels like that's the truth. Of course it does. Any belief does. That's how we build our world. It's based on our beliefs. Do you think it also depends on whether somebody has a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset? Because I feel like this really differentiates a lot of people. If people have subscribed to this fixed mindset idea, they tend to believe that everybody is where they are through their own natural talents And they tend to have more self-limiting beliefs around learning things or developing new skills because they've really grown up with this sense of, I wasn't born with creativity or I'm not naturally good at being analytical, whatever it may be. So do you find that most of the people that you work with who are successful, that they're leaning toward that growth mindset already when they come to you? Because... I just wonder how many people with a really fixed mindset will even allow themselves the thought, no, I could do something different. I don't have to be in this career that I'm unhappy with. Well, the interesting, I I know what you're saying about the fixed versus growth mindset, and that keeps it very binary. And I think what... I think the there's nuances there that you can still be on the path and have this global belief of growth mindset. So in theory... Anyone could learn anything and do anything. But the common, the common belief is, yes, yeah, she could, but not me. Right. So you could still, in theory, believe in the growth mindset, but have a fear that, oh, that's not possible for me. It's possible for other people, but not me. Because they believe that they're eternally limited or that they're fundamentally limited in some ways. Or they've been told that by parents or, or other mentors along their path. They've been told that they're limited. So how do they get out of that? How does somebody start to break away from that? Because you mentioned how great it feels, and that's a powerful incentive to think, wouldn't it be awesome to get to the other side of this limiting belief and and, and know that I can overcome and conquer anything? But the mucky, messy, painful part could last a little while for some people, and obviously depending on whatever it is they're trying to overcome, but... Well, first of all, it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out experience or a long, drawn-out process. It doesn't have to be. It can happen really, really quickly. But the first piece, the, the, the starting point is, as we said, to acknowledge it, to acknowledge it as a belief versus truth. And I think that's the distinction that not everyone makes. We go through our life thinking, oh, well, this is the truth, instead of really interrogating it to acknowledge it as a belief. And a belief can be changed. A fact can't. But a belief can be changed. And the the notion that most of the things that we take for fact are actually beliefs. And so that's the the first step is to acknowledge it as for what it is. It's a belief and it's a belief that I hold. The second is to interrogate it. Okay, so how is this belief serving me? Is it serving me? How is it not serving me? Where is it holding me back? And you start really, really interrogating how it's showing up in your life, but also what are the results in your life as a, that, are, that pertain to this belief? 
And then you commit to to changing that belief. You need to reprogram yourself, just like you reprogram your computer. (laughs) You need to reprogram yourself. And the the deeper-seated the belief, if it's a program that's been in your mind, you've been programmed since you were two, a toddler, by your parents, and just hammered home at every every chance your parents got, that's a deep-seated belief that you need to reprogram. And it takes effort. And it takes conscious effort. And it can absolutely be done. And it's totally worth the upgrade. (laughs) So worth the upgrade. (laughs) So worth it. Thank you for that. That's a great way to sum it up. I want to turn now to your work at Her Big Leap, which is your business, and talking a little bit about what that looks like day-to-day with your clients. What sort of wicked problems are you helping clients overcome in their lives? How are you helping them crystallize what they want? We can go back to some of these in more detail, but feel free to take it from there and anything that you're passionate about. So in a nutshell, I help women, mostly middle-aged women who have had 10 plus years of experience in the corporate, corporate world, when they're dissatisfied enough to take the leap, oftentimes, even though they know they want to make the leap, that they don't want to stay in corporate and they want to start their own business, there's two main things that hold them back. Either they don't have the clarity of what that business could look like. Either sometimes they they have no idea where to start. They don't know what their purpose is in life. They don't know what will fulfill them. They have no idea if they want to stay in the same genre of work or make a 90-degree pivot. Or they do know and they do have that clarity, but they have these inner gremlins, this imposter syndrome, these fears holding them back. And so those are the two things that I I help these women work on is getting that clarity for exactly what their business looks like. Okay, so what do you want in your life first? And then let's help you build a business around that. So you love your life, not just your business. And then figuring out all the nuts and bolts as it relates to your business. Okay, so who's your ideal client? What does your pricing look like? What's your sales and marketing strategy? So they know exactly what their business looks like and how to make that happen. But in the meantime, we focus on their mindset. All right, so how do we bust through these inner gremlins? How do we put them in the backseat instead of the driver's seat? How do we overcome these fears and shift these beliefs to support you in where you want to go? And then these women go from lost to ready to launch their business. And, and many times they're getting their first few clients before we're, we're done working together. How long would that period be, the introductory period where you first start working with somebody? Between 12 and 16 weeks. Okay. That's not long then to see somebody start getting new clients already. That's great. It's amazing seeing women come not knowing where to start. They have no entrepreneurial background. They don't have examples of that in their life. They don't know what kind of business they want to start. And then by the end of working together, let's say 16 weeks later, they know exactly what they want to do. They have a list of prospects they're speaking to and oftentimes their first client. That's exciting for you too, because you're seeing it come together. Oh, absolutely. And knowing that we've just whittled down what could be a years long process, as it was for me, because I didn't have this roadmap, having it whittled down to a matter of months. What would you like more of in your business or what direction do you see yourself going in? Right now, I'm just thrilled with doing what I'm doing now. 
So expanding my my clientele and being able to, I, I think, I just want to help more women. I mean, I could make it sound really glamorous. I just want to help more <laughs> women. And especially today, we see the stats of 30, I just saw stats recently. They did a poll in the US and 30% of women in corporate want to leave their job. Wow. Whew. So if you look at that 30% and you know how many of them are like busting at the seams to like, I got to make a move versus, yeah, I just don't like it. I'd love to, but you know, I'm also kind of comfortable here. It pays the bills. But how many of those women are staying in horrible job situations where they're unhappy, working long hours, stressed out, burnt out, being underpaid, undervalued, but not making a change because they don't know how or they're afraid they're not able to. I want to serve those women. And if someone wanted to reach out to you and connect with you and have that introductory conversation, I will include the link to your website so that people can easily contact you. What are some questions for these people to consider? If somebody's thinking, I think I do want to make a change or I've had enough of the corporate life, what are the base minimum answers that people need? To, to come to you with? Are you committed and decisive? Are you coachable? And are you resourceful? Those are the three things that it comes down to. If you, that really separates when I look at people who are successful and people who aren't at making this transition and making it quickly, it really comes down to that. Are you sick and tired of working for someone else and falling short of your potential and are ready to take a stand and say enough is enough, now is the time. Are you coachable? In other words, do you recognize that what you're doing isn't working? You know, going through the motions and not getting anywhere. And are you ready and willing for guidance and input to get you to that freedom now? And are you resourceful? Because here's the thing, there's always gonna be a challenge. Whether it's lack of time, money, confidence, But for the women who are truly committed to making this happen, they'll always find a way. Yes, definitely. Is there anything coming up for you that you want to share or promote? Right now, this is this is it. That's great. This is it. This is and this is what I would say the other thing is so many women have various passions and and interests, and it's a matter of whittling it down to one. And so right now, this is my one thing that I'm really passionate about, that I'm, I'm really invested in, and I'm really committed to getting these, these women, my clients, the results that they want. And so this is it. That's a great place to be. That's, a, that's ideal, in my opinion. Is there anything I have not asked you that you'd like to talk about? The one thing that I would say is that, you know, we've talked about this as as this idea of women leaving the corporate world and starting their own thing and all the fears and and the mind stuff that gets in our way. But what we haven't talked about, and I'll say really, really briefly, is that this is all based on my philosophy that in today's world, in today's society, my belief is that entrepreneurship, working for yourself, is the best vehicle for ultimate freedom for women. Mm, Let's go into a little more detail there. Why is that? Why do you believe that? Because working for yourself not only provides you your financial independence, 
but it provides you your independence of choice. You're not given given projects, given mandates, and told you need to get this done by Monday. So there goes your weekend with your kids. You get to decide. It's ultimate freedom. So you're not bound to the corporation. You're not bound to your boss. You're not bound to your husband for financial independence. It's on you. I just want to throw in a question, not because I disagree with you entirely, but for someone who's listening who thinks, yes, but the stability of the corporate life and the complexity of the corporate organization gives me opportunities that I don't have to work as hard for. So if I want to try a new project, I can ask for that. If I want a certain amount of stability, I don't have to search for clients. I know that I'm always going to have work to do. Are those common objections that come up typically? Not typically with my clients because they're ready to make that trade-off. Yes. And I will say, you know, my business is built on the platform of my philosophy that working for yourself is your ultimate freedom for women in today's world. And it's not for everyone. No. And so if you are a person and... I know many in my in my personal life who their family is their priority. They just want to work nine to four or eight to four, nine to five. They want to be able to check out, not have to think about work. They get a steady paycheck. They get benefits. They get to spend their meaningful time with their kids. And they're not looking for more. Maybe entrepreneurship, maybe working for yourself isn't for you. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay. The women I want to talk to are the women who see see that and they're like, but I want more. And when we talked earlier today, Yana, about earlier in this conversation, what are you willing to give up? For many women, they're willing to give that up. Yeah. Oftentimes for the sake of more. And yes, there's a risk. And most often it pays off. Yes. And I want to add to that. You asked me a question in one of our previous conversations where, what is the risk of inaction? Like, I think we always assume we have a bias toward the status quo and keeping things as they are because, like you said earlier, that's the devil you know. But I think what can really shake people up sometimes is to take some time to think about what's the risk of not acting? What's the risk of keeping the status quo If you were to ask people that question, do you feel like that is equally powerful in motivating them and incentivizing them to to act? Look, you ask anyone, you ask people at the end of their lives, and they've done studies on this. You ask people at the end of their lives, on their deathbed, what are their biggest regrets? It's never what they did. It's what they didn't do. (laughs) Yes, that is fundamental. So oftentimes we need to fast forward. Okay, so when you're 65, when you're 85, sitting on a park bench, looking back on your life, what will be your biggest regret? Will it be going for following your heart and having some bumpy times? Or will it be staying safe and staying small and not going for it? I think that is an excellent question to leave listeners with, give some thought to Thank you so much for coming on Access Ideas today. This has been a great conversation, Sarah. And if anybody out there listening is anything like me, you're you're thinking a lot (laughs) about these things. 
Thank you, Yana. And thank you for creating a platform for to have these discussions because I know in the corporate setting, these conversations aren't always encouraged. So thank you for creating a platform to have it. If you love access ideas, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Podchaser via the link in our show notes or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the podcast too. Until next time, thanks for listening to Access Ideas.